Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unitas Initiative and United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. It's the Capital Connection. This week, we're joined by Republican New York State Assembly Minority Leader William Barclay. He's from the 120th District. Leader Barclay, so good to have you back with us. Well, thanks for having me on. Let's start with this question. It dawned on me that the Speaker of the State Assembly, Carl Hastie, a Democrat, recently touring the state. Did he stop in your district, and were you invited to attend? <laughs> He hasn't stopped in my district, although we talked about it last session. And as you know, David, with everything, we get busy. And so I haven't followed up with him. It's kind of my court to invite him to my district. He's obviously always welcome uh, to come here. But I I think it's going to be a tough, tough thing to get uh, scheduled before uh, the end of the year. But uh, he was willing to come. And I guess maybe I dropped the ball uh, as far as not getting him uh, to my district, but I know he has been traveling around the state lately. And I guess it's those kinds of things in politics where you can find common ground, right? With the speaker, you have different views on the issues, but it, I guess, presents an opportunity to have a conversation. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm very proud of the area I represent. I think there's a lot to showcase, particularly when it comes to tourism. We have uh, Lake Ontario, that's world-class fishing. We have the Sam River. We have the city of Oswego and Fulton. Uh, I represent part of Jefferson County, have some Cuga County. There's you know beautiful agro agricultural tourism uh, in this area. So I, I certainly have a lot to show him, and I appreciate the conversation we had last session about coming to visit. And at some point, I hope to get him here or any other elected official that wants to come visit the 120th Assembly District. Well, let's get into the serious issues. I know that you've been troubled by the migrant issue and the influx of migrants, as have so many, including on both sides of the aisle. However, you have called, along with your colleagues, for a special session. It seemed like we were hearing something like that might be possible, but I'm not sure anymore. Where are we in this idea of a special session with the legislature to deal with what has become a key focus of most legislators in New York? Well, I hope the public pressure is starting to uh, heat up a bit on elected officials. I think uh, we all recognize the fact that this migrant crisis that we're facing in New York is a federal problem, but that doesn't mean that on the state level we just stand by and do nothing. And so myself and my colleagues in the Assembly uh, Republican Conference and in the Senate Republican Conference and others have called for uh, the legislature and the governor to act on it, because we do see it as a crisis. As you know, David, I think as of a couple of weeks ago, the number is something like 110,000 migrants have now come into yeah. New York State. And it's causing stress on the system, particularly in New York City, where they have the right to shelter law. 
Uh, I've heard some crazy numbers of what that is costing the city, but the state's already spent $1.5 billion. Uh, there's estimates that it's going to cost upwards of $12 billion. Uh, so, you know, it's causing some real stress on the system, and uh, we can't wait for the federal government that doesn't seem to have the will uh, to act on this uh, to do something. So we think it's uh, prudent for the state to go back to a special session. Uh, the governor said that she was open to it or was considering it, but said uh, they want to have a plan on what to do in that special session. And we're happy to provide a number of policy ideas uh, that we could undertake if we did uh, go into session. I think that what we are proposing are some very common sense, not overly partisan uh, solutions to this. And we always recognize, I've said this from day one, we don't have a silver bullet that's going to solve this issue. But again, the federal government's not doing anything. It seems to me um, the state ought to do something. Well, let's deal with a couple of the points because you did mention you have what looks like a five-point plan here. One is to require New York State to register all migrants in order to assist with background checks and monitoring refugees seeking asylum. Is that something New York can do? Well, I think we can do it. We should uh, do it. First of all, just as a little way of background, to get asylum in the U.S., to get a hearing on that, and that's how most of these migrants are coming in, they're seeking asylum. Uh, the hearing takes four and a half to almost five years uh, to get resolution of that. In the meantime, there's really no um, way to document who these migrants are and where they are. And it seems to me it's sort of a common sense, uh, good uh policy. Obviously, New York State knows where its citizens are. I'm not sure why we should know where the migrants are, too. And again, if the federal government's not acting, why can't New York State act on this to make sure, at the very least, we have them registered so we know who's in the state? The third point on your plan, ensure funding is not used to shelter migrants in schools, daycare centers, or community-based organizations. That's a hard one, isn't it? I mean, schools started. You've got, as I understand it, many of the migrant children being welcomed into schools, and a lot of that money is coming from the state. Right, but that's where some of the most controversial is those areas of where they're trying to, and this, again, very New York City-centric issue, but uh, they're trying to put them in schools. I was down in Queens and uh, saw where the migrants were being placed in a school area, and it's causing, again, causing great stress on that system. You know, that's something we could go back and discuss where the best place is to try to locate these migrants and how it's going to be paid for. But right now, it's sort of willy-nilly. The mayor's running around trying to find a place uh, to put them. The governor and the mayor tried to uh, uh, have them come upstate. Uh, Upstate wasn't prepared and didn't have the infrastructure in place to accept them. So there was a lot of pushback uh, there. So it seems to me, you know, that begs a question of why aren't we acting to try to find, at the very least, a place to locate uh, these migrants and how is that going to be paid for? It's certainly not fair for us to try to push that on to uh, localities that simply just don't have the resources or the infrastructure except, you know, huge, uh, huge numbers of influx of migrants. Yeah, and I think there's no denying that as politicians fail to come up with proper solutions and solutions that they can enact quickly, like, say, allowing some of these migrants the opportunity to work and contribute to the state's economy, that we're left with ultimately these people and these children hurting, stuck in a spot, and none of these problems resolved. So people get hurt in the end. Absolutely. 
I readily admit this isn't a good situation for the migrants, not good for our communities or our citizens, but it's not good for the migrants either. So something ought to be done. You know, the one other point that seems really just a good government piece of policy that we are proposing is how about just auditing how the money is being spent? There's been a lot of back and forth. You've heard it with the doc go, a lot of, um, you know, contractors uh, contract with the state. And we're not sure how that money is being spent. Wouldn't it be good to have that audited by the controller, a Democrat, uh, and have that audit findings released to the legislature and the governor? Uh, there's something, you know, and by the way, we, we would we would like to see this on a lot of different programs. It's not just the migrant and the money being spent here, but this is what we're, you know, focused on today. But again, that just strikes me as we're trying to find solutions that are overly partisan that will actually help the circumstance. And that's how we came up with these proposals. And that one, I just can't imagine anyone being against that. But I guess in the world we live in, it's sometimes gets very partisan and proposed by a Republican. It's tough to get done. We're talking to Assembly Minority Leader William Barclay, a Republican. Yeah, isn't it interesting that if you're unorganized and this situation has not been handled well, I think everyone can agree, that it gives more ammunition to those who are fearful, who would say, we don't want the other, nimbyism, not in my backyard, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, can, I can't speak for everybody. I can speak for me personally. Uh, you know, we've seen a huge, tragically, a huge outward migration out of New York State, uh, particularly strong in upstate that from a demographic uh, perspective has been hurting us. So it's not that, you know, I'm personally, I'm, I'm pretty pro, I am pro migration uh, and immigration. The problem is how this is going about. This is not legal migration. This is people coming across the border under the auspices that they're seeking asylum. And I would mention asylum is trying to get a safe haven from being persecuted, whether it's on political beliefs, you know, um, uh, uh, race, religion, nationality, all that. You know, I think that's probably a stretch for a lot of these migrants that are coming across that they're actually being persecuted by their home countries. I, I think it's more of an excuse to get in the country. Once you're seeking asylum in the United States, you can stay in the country. And I think that's a federal issue that ought to get cleaned up. I also think that we ought to, you know, it's got to be done on a bipartisan basis, but we ought to look at our whole immigration system. And there's nothing wrong with having people come to this country to find a better life. I think, you know, that's a history of a lot of our citizens here, but it's got to be done in an organized and legal manner and just can't be willy nilly uh, people coming across the border claiming asylum and then disappearing into this country. I think that raises a lot of problematic issues and dangers, frankly. Well, and I guess from the your conference perspective, it's point number four, reverse the executive order of 2017 prohibiting law enforcement from cooperating with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, to end New York status as an illegal immigration sanctuary. This plays right into what your point was. Yeah. I mean, so why are, this is a question I get, why are they coming into New York? Uh, a lot of people have blamed the governors of Texas and Florida for uh, shipping the migrants here, which certainly is a part of that. But I would mention that uh, they've been, uh, the federal government's uh, been moving migrants to New York State for some time. But I think all the way back into the fall of 2022, they were flying them into the Westchester airport that got some coverage. So putting a sense, but the migrants like to come to New York State for, I think, two reasons. One, because of that sanctuary state, and we have an even stronger sanctuary 
laws in New York City, but also for the right to shelter. And so that requires, uh, so far, this uh, is just... Uh, was a legal uh, settlement actually that was back in the 70s that was trying to take um, homeless off the street. I don't think it was ever meant to provide shelter to migrants, but it's being used for that. And, you know, people can come to New York State and they're, they're in New York City and they're guaranteed housing. Uh, that's a big plus. And that's why I think that's attracting a lot of migrants to New York State. So at the very least, um, we should clarify what right to shelter means. And then also this this is a whole call for sanctuary city and state. I think um, one, I don't think that's good, you know, law enforcement policy. Uh, but two, I think it's attracting people to New York State that uh, may not otherwise come here. And I, I find it interesting, David. The fact is there's a real divide in the Democratic Party now because a lot of people that are supportive of the sanctuary policies by the state and city now are getting pressure from their constituency because of the, especially in the city where the, you know, the uh, migrants are overwhelming um, various services. Uh, you know, they're having second thoughts on the sanctuary, their policies that they supported, you know, a year or two, maybe three years ago when um, Trump was president. Well, let's change subject. We're speaking with Assembly Minority Leader William Barclay, Republican from the 120th District along the lake. And Minority Leader Barclay, let's talk redistricting. I know you've spoken in the past with uh, Susan Arbetter, host of the Capitol Press Room. I was just reading an article from her this morning. Latest New York redistricting move is a split decision, according to an expert. Both sides of the political aisle are fighting over whether New York should have another go at drawing congressional district lines by the 2024 elections. A critical question, considering how close the numbers are in the House of Representatives. The latest ruling, which came down Tuesday morning from the State Court of Appeals, was an order that said the state's independent redistricting commission, which is tasked with drawing congressional lines may start to work on new lines while litigation progresses at the same time the stay on the current maps continues which is a win for republicans says here in the article where are you on the whole redistricting matter to me it's a pox on all your houses (laughs) (laughs) i would agree with that i'm tired of it david i tell you it took a couple years off my life when we went through it the first time now we're talking about going through it possibly the third time uh by the time this is settled if the court of appeals upholds the appellate division decision will be in 2024. And as you know, we redistrict every 10 years. We're four years into that decade. Uh, it seems a little ridiculous. So at some point, you got to say one's enough and people have got to accept the lines that were uh, court, uh, court special master drawn. So it's not even the legislature that drew these latest maps and say, let's move on. So I think people are so confused. I get confused and I'm in the business of what's going on with redistricting. Uh, So I hope the Court of Appeals, you know, kind of drops this and says enough, we have to move on. You can't be litigating this time and time again when you don't like the line, someone else litigates it. Just to bring back how this whole thing went down, we have that independent redistricting commission. Uh, The point was to try to remove politics out of redistricting, I think that's very hard sometimes to remove politics out of politics. But uh, nevertheless, um, the uh, the uh, the lines that were ended up drawn by the legislature because the independent redistricting commission couldn't come to the decision went to a court. The court hired or um, you know retained a special master. Special master came up with these lines. Uh, so you can say to some extent that wasn't partisan. 
And now uh, the Democrats didn't like, particularly when it comes to the congressional lines, didn't like those lines. And so they're trying to get them redrawn. I just think at some point people have had enough. It's already confusing. People don't get confused of why their representative is their representative when it keeps changing. Um, I think it's time to move on with this thing and uh, enough's enough, really. It's one of those things in politics. When I learned about it as a young man, I was shocked to learn what it was because I don't think a lot of Americans, number one, pay attention closely to politics to begin with. And number two, many probably don't even know what redistricting is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is it is confusing. And then it's hard enough to, you know, people even know who their government officials, particularly on the state level, is. Uh, but, uh, you know, when the lines change and all of a sudden people don't really understand why their representative head is no longer their representative, uh, there's definitely politics plays a role. And it'd be naive not to say it doesn't play a role. And the Democrats have controlled redistricting because they control the legislature and the governor's office. And so, you know, we like it. Personally, I like the idea of an independent redistricting commission because to some extent it hopefully takes out that terrible political gerrymandering that we've seen not only in New York State, but I think throughout the country. But ultimately, at some point, you know, you can't keep litigating this until perpetuity and to hope that your side ends up doing better in whatever the maps are drawn. So it's not a good system uh, that we have. It's somewhat improved with the Independent Redistricting Commission, but I think we could continue to work on that and get a better system that ultimately takes the best we can take gerrymandering out and try to get some, um, I guess, uh, districts that uh, anyone that would look at it outside of a politician say, all right, this makes sense. This is, you know, a cohesive district that ought to be represented by uh, this, per- you know, this, this community leader. Well, from district lines to people's opinions across districts, there is a new Siena College Research Institute poll, the well-known Siena poll out this week, finds more than 80 percent of voters say the cost of living in New York is a major problem, and a plurality say it's the most important issue for leaders to work on. The next top issues are crime the migrant influx, and affordable housing. We've talked about two out of those already, and I'm guessing it's not surprising, right? I mean, those that are paying attention will see many of these issues in the news. And, of course, if it's impacting them in their communities, they're going to let their pollster know about it. Yeah, I mean, this is something I've been talking about, and I think our conference has been talking about for a long time, the cost of living in New York State is not competitive with the rest of the country, not competitive with the rest of the world, and it's not a sustainable system uh, that we are in. And you talked about almost all our costs are going through the roof, whether it's groceries, gas, and it's really putting a strain on, um, you know, average New Yorkers' paychecks. And as a result, people are, unfortunately, as I mentioned earlier in this program, uh, we've lost, you know, a million people over the last uh, four or five years, and that's not a sustainable system. So we have to do more to address this. And one one thing is, I always say, when you're a hole, stop digging. I saw the other day that um, some of my progressive colleagues want to, you know, do a migrant tax to raise the tax and help cover the cost of the migrants. At some point, we have to understand that we cannot keep taxing New Yorkers and expect New Yorkers to be able to stay here and pay those taxes. So there's, you know, a lot of proposals. One thing we've always just you know, something we can do right away is get rid of the gas tax. We had that for a while, and then it, it was only a temporary relief and it went back into effect. That's something I would love to see addressed uh, 
in uh, special session. Now, particularly when gas is pushing, I think I filled up the other day, it's almost $5, $4.50, I think it was, which is pretty jaw-dropping, David. As you remember, you and I can remember when gas was down around, you know, a dollar, a little over a dollar. Sure. So uh, it's just hard to, especially upstate where you travel a lot, it's hard to afford that. Yeah, and yet there are so many problems that people are citing that require money. All of these issues require money. And then if you throw in some of the climate issues, and let's not argue whether man-made or not, you've got, for example, in Troy, another water main explodes. It's a river going down the street in Lansingburg, in Troy. We need to have some serious work done on our infrastructure in this country and certainly in this state. How many dams do we have across the state? And what condition are they in? I mean, just basic things that require money, but would also, I guess, put some people in some jobs to help get that stuff done. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you can always say there's needs out there, but somehow we spend more per capita uh, than any other state, maybe save California and Illinois uh, in the country. So how are other states doing this? So uh, I do think there's some things that we have world class. There's some things that uh, maybe we aren't spending as efficiently as we can. You know, two of the biggest um, cost drivers in the state are healthcare and education. Uh, I think we can do a better job with education. I've mentioned that on this show. I've mentioned anywhere we go. The way we uh, dole out education aid doesn't make sense. We give high wealth districts uh, a lot of money. We, low wealth districts don't get that same. If we had a more efficient system just delivering uh, that aid, we probably wouldn't have to increase school funding as much. Uh, healthcare is another issue. You know, we spend uh, Medicaid, I think, on a per capita basis is probably higher than even California. I've heard statistics where we're higher on a per capita basis than uh, Florida and Texas combined. So, so there's got to be efficiencies that we can find uh, in the system. <clears throat> Obviously, when you come to making budget decisions, there's, I guess people would say, winners and losers on everything. But ultimately, right now, I think sometimes with the results that we're getting in New York, um, not only are we losers from a tax paying standpoint, but we're losers in the actual success of the programming that we're funding at the state level. Yeah. And one of the institutions, like many of them you mentioned, education, healthcare, and of course, politics, especially the political class in Washington, people are losing if they haven't already lost faith in those institutions. Yeah. I mean, this is a new Pew National Poll. Americans view the U.S. political system have reached new lows, according to a survey that reveals near record distrust of the government discussed with both political parties and general exhaustion over all the divisiveness. I mean, at what point are politicians in Washington, you know, the political class in Washington, this fight like we're on two separate teams as opposed to can we work together as Americans? Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've seen that progress over my time. It does seem things have gotten more partisan on both sides which I think is unfortunate. Uh, I don't really have great solutions to that other than, uh, you know, what I try to do personally is understand where someone's coming from, understand, particularly when it comes to a fellow elected official, you know, understand the people that they're um, representing and their perspective, but again, be strong in the beliefs that I believe in and what I think can move the state ahead and hopefully Somewhere in that mix, you can find common ground. The problem we have in New York, in my opinion, obviously, is we're a very blue state and we've had one party rule. And um, as a result of one party rule, again, some sometimes even common sense solutions can be 
uh, overlooked just because it's being proposed by a Republican versus the controlling political party, the Democrats. And uh, if they want to take any of our ideas and implement them as their own, uh, we're always uh, overly happy or excited to allow or have them do that. But ultimately, we've just got to try to work together to try to uh, move the state forward. And I, I do laugh. I mean, you know, again, I'm in this business, but that poll where people say they're exhausted, I get exhausted. We all get exhausted. Sure. I'm like to turn on our TV sometime because it just seems like it's so much bickering and not really problem solving. I think that's unfortunate to so, and I don't have great solutions what to do, but just try to deal with it the best I can on my own personal level. Well, but then there's the campaign season. And isn't that the real problem? We're always campaigning now and raising money to run. And then, you know, you got super PACs, the others are paying for these messages and they're calling the other side names and saying they're hurting our children and all these kinds of messages. Both sides do it. Both sides do it. Yeah. But that is not healthy for our democracy, is it? Well, you know, I I guess it's a question. (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. To that level. It's tiresome, but but ultimately, the voters, I do believe in democracy, the voters get to decide. And, you sure, know, sure. They, they decide. And so, you know, people are getting their message out any way they can. And if they can convince you know, the voter that they're the right candidate to do it. Yeah, but if, but if so, we can take the neg- yeah. negative association with, let's say, conservative or liberal, which if you right. look at the definitions, don't necessarily have negative connotations, <laughs> then we right. could maybe have some better communication about how to balance those two things in a democratic society. Well, I'm with you, David. Once you get the solutions, uh, let me know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I asked the. I just asked the hard question. The I asked the questions. <laughs> you have to come up with the solutions. <laughs> well, I'm I trying. I know you are. So many of the folks that I talk to on this program are genuine. They believe in what they're doing. They're passionate, as you are, and they want to reach solutions. It's just hard when a lot of the electorate turns away. That's true. And that's ultimately, uh, you know, that's on the people that be educated voters and get out and vote. We just did a special election down in Queens that we're very optimistic that we could win. We fortunately lost it by, you know, about 500 votes. But it ultimately came to try to get people out to vote because I think our message is good. But it's hard. It's hard. That was, again, talking about, (laughs) I don't want to say politics, but they... The governor put the election on September 12th, obviously the day after September 11th. Uh, I don't think people's minds, particularly in Queens, were necessarily focused on an assembly race down there. But it's very hard to get people to the polls and to vote. One, to educate them on who's running, and then two, educate them on the issues, and three, to actually have them get out and vote. And those are, those are always challenges that any political party or advocate for one candidate or the other have. Yeah, and those challenges are probably not going to get easier when we've spent no. spent just a tiny bit of time talking about them. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. And I want to thank Republican Assembly Minority Leader William Barclay. Will Barclay, I can't thank you enough, and I can't wait till we have another chance to talk over the issues. Uh, me too, David. Thanks. Support for the Capital Connection comes from New York State United Teachers, working to support students, educators, and public schools as the center of their communities through the Public Schools Unite Us initiative.